0: I'm Jeffrey, I'm Greg Killian, and this is the From First to Last podcast. Uh, since it's a podcast with my friend Craig and I. We get together each week. We work our way through a director's theatrical filmography, from the first film all the way through to the last. And, Craig, we are in season eight. It's uh, We are really diving in. We're at episode 15. We are arm deep. I would really... Oh, yikes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like birthing a horse. <laughs> oh, golly. My dad is. was a
1: horse trainer. I've seen that shit, man. It is arm deep.
0: It's pretty incredible, oh, isn't
1: it's, it? it's it's it? It's just horrifying, especially yeah. as a kid, to watch it,
0: man. I'll never forget, we, uh little guilty pleasure in the reed house this year, was uh, <laughs> <Horse> uh, birthing <laughs> uh, It's actually, <laughs> a we go on, <laughs> go on a, a YouTube run, we watch a video before bed. Uh, yeah. No, we watched Farmer Wants the Wife. Yep. And in one of the episodes, there was a birthing of a cow and... One of the ladies i'll never forget it. it was the funniest thing she's like that was the most incredible and beautiful thing i've ever seen and definitely doesn't make me want to have kids for quite a number of years <laughs> love it so much we used to
1: have cows i remember once uh, uh, uh this posh lady actually ran into our one of our cows because it broke through the fence and when it hit it the cow shit all over the side of a car and it was this beautiful shit. like 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 it didn't hurt the cow which is really amazing because. It was a highway at the front, so it was 110 kilometers an hour. But she must Ooh. have skidded and hit the cow. And the cow did this fantastic, like a look, like you know, like a, you know how they remember the old school where they had flames on the side of the yeah. car? This <laughs> was like a shit flame on the side of the car. The fuck, I remember looking at it and going, that's impressive. The cow lived for a fucking fair while too, man. It was. I don't know why dad had cows. I think they kept horses calm or some shit. We never used it for milk or anything. <laughs>
0: No, fuck <laughs> the uh, entertainment value of them crapping on a car alone. Craig, I love it. Is, I love it. Is uh, and, and speaking of crapping on a car, we did talk last episode around Superman Lives, which was a bit oh, of a low point for uh, Tim, Burton. Tim Burton. A low point, but a high point. Dream man. Yeah, yeah, and and like really. It is the first time probably in Burton's career where he's had to really slog it out for a project and have it not come together.
1: And i got to say once again, and I know we probably said it last episode, go out and watch this documentary oh. and just open your mind about yep. this film. I had so many fucking misgivings that this was the bullet dodged, but it was a movie that would have been
0: so incredibly fascinating. Oh, wouldn't it ever. And like I
1: haven't watched Judah Rossi's Dune um i tried to watch it once and i was just like i can't do it um cuz judo rossi just pissed me off he's but out there yeah he's fucking okay. out there but after watching this I'm, i i I want to watch it cause wanna oh cuz i want to see that creativity on show
0: you got to I've been on a real documentary kick after this and just really enjoying it. You do that. Also, watch uh, Lost Soul, The Doom Journey of Richard Stanley's Islander Dr. Moreau. Oh, um, that will blow, that blow your mind. Oh, I've got to watch that. It. Will blow I'm your so mind. pumped. So, this one, if you don't, don't know it, is a documentary all around the making of Superman Lives and what happened to yep. the project. Features uh, cast, crew, and. Tim Burton. Whoever's himself. who's who on earth. Yeah. Like totally. all the
1: best people you want to talk to.
0: Screenwriters, concept yep. artists, Love makeup, it. costume. They're all there. So The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened is the documentary. Yep. You can find it out there where all your good things are found. Yo. YouTube, I think it's on there. But it brings us to this week, Craig, which we're back on Burton's filmography. Back on track. We got a bit of a three year gap between Mars Attacks and. This week's film, which is Sleepy Hollow. Ah, Sleepy Hollow! I'm so excited about this movie, Craig. If there was one of those films, there's a couple that we were like, "What ones are you really excited to get back and revisit?" This was my most one. I was the most excited about. This definitely was yours. Mine's coming next week, but Woo! or next episode, I should say. It's but the birth of horsing. That's right. That's a that's, that's a, Tim a little, little, little side little project. <laughs> <laughs> little side project. I that would be the most
1: horrifying Tim Burton fucking short <laughs> oh, I would ever. Yo, the, it'd, it'd be stop, stop motion. motion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like he would go straight into the vagina and it just turned into this hard, gorgeous <laughs> world like like fucking like it's like per-
0: <laughs> like, a the, tree? Pumpkin, like the pumpkin
1: like Jack the had fallen into the tree. Yep. Yep.
0: Definitely. The. the uh, well, the headless horseman coming out of the tree with a what? giant gush
1: of blood. Oh, pretty, pretty hardcore. Pretty that hardcore. Is a
0: very, that tree entrance and exit is very feminine inspired, oh, very, isn't it, And crazy? guttural. Ooh. Yeah, Ooh. <laughs> so we'll get there a bit later. But um, I'm glad you made that noise because we're going to talk about what's happened for Tim Burton post-Mars Attacks. Poor Timmy. And there's a lot going on for him. So in 1997, he's approached by Warner Brothers to direct a film called Superman Lives. Oh, uh, really? oh, Burton I initially is not keen. He'd been through the superhero hero films. The super He's been through the super hose too. You'd know he's been through the super too. He's, he's made, a fucker. He, he's made <laughs> he's in a steady relationship with Lisa Marie. I still don't believe that. We see pops up as the mum. Yep. Slash witchy and for those lady. who don't
1: know Lisa Marie, she's the um Tax. She's the, the She's
0: also Vampira in Edward. I didn't make that I didn't make that connection. so she's I'm been in a few of Burton's films and is seen as a bit of a muse we'll talk about that very soon I used to always think
1: it was Elizabeth Shoe. oh same hey, I fucking I used to always think it was Elizabeth Shue until in this attacks. watch oh, <laughs> until this very watch <laughs> and I went that's not Elizabeth Shue <laughs>
0: <laughs> childhood it.
1: ruined love it uh,
0: so Bert, uh, <laughs> Burton's made Batman and Batman Returns mm-hmm. he's got a little bit burnt did in you the say, pro- Berman? Well, <laughs> we was, say Berman well we were going to say Burton. it was a combination of Batman and Batman Returns so it was like <laughs> Burnsons um, <laughs> So, in the addition Bartman. to this, uh, he doesn't feel Superman is a stronger character as Batman for yep. the screen. He loves him as a comic book wrong. character, but uh, feels like he's a little bit... His words are two-dimensional for the screen. He is wrong. I knew you'd love that one, Craig. But the thing but that I really, know he, he changes his mind on it. So. He definitely does, and you see that in the documentary. But what really sold him on the project is the fact that Nick Cage was already signed on to the project. Now, mm. as we talked about in our episode... Burton unfortunately has the project fall apart. There's lots of factors at play in this, yep. including a studio that was just not firing on all cylinders, yep. and that made them very scared of a few things. And so, unfortunately, uh, the the future and the way that the Batman franchise played out also played a major part in this as well. So, unfortunately, Burton had some links to Batman films that really had nothing to do with him at all, Poor and that impacted his uh, apart from getting fun. a check. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so uh, this leaves Burton almost two years of work for nothing. And he's sort of left pretty flat, Uh, not really sure what to do. With his life post-Superman lives, he he doesn't have any projects lined up. So it wasn't like he had some things on his production slate. He's no longer working with Denise De Novi. Uh So he doesn't have his production company in full swing ah, okay. like he did. Okay. And so he sort of has a bit of time where he goes, all right, well, what am I going to do? And he sort of decides, oh, well, in 1997, I might write a little book. Ooh. And he writes and publishes a book called The Melancholy Death of Oyster Boy and Other Stories. Now, There's, um, I'm showing Craig some photos here as well of the book, which I thank you very much. Uh, It contains 23 illustrated stories of varying lengths written in little verses. (laughs) So it's sort of like a kid's book. So there's Oyster Boy? Yeah, Oyster Boy and uh, other things. There's Stick Boy, which is very Superman-inspired. There's Match Girl. (laughs) There's a whole heap of things. So you can have a look out there in 97. That's out there. Now, he also sort of um, really starts dabbling in photography yeah. so he starts playing with cameras and really and there's a really interesting thing that he starts dabbling in which is 3d cameras oh so we're talking in the late 90s and he's like 35 mil cameras and how do i do some 3d photography and film which we know once we start to get to the mid 2000s 3d becomes a technology that is very much involved mm-hmm. and when he gets to alice in wonderland that actually is a 3d film which I think might have been a post-conversion as opposed to an actually filmed. Yeah, I
1: can't remember. I know it definitely rode the wave, the Avatar wave. It definitely did. Because it just came off of Avatar.
0: Two thousand and nine saw a lot of movies go. How do we make three D? Yes, and that didn't belong. And they didn't. Uh, so he does a lot of photography, and there's lots of photos of his partner at the time, Lisa Marie, very gothic and weird. Yeah, um, you can say it would be weird, man. There's one I'm going to show Craig where she's like got Adams lots family. of weird wires and pipes coming out of her mouth looking very much Their like sex
1: life would be fucking weird.
0: It would be very weird, Craig. Uh, like so, if
1: they're just doing freaking, you know, missionary, I'd be shocked. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know how you, just, you sometimes look at couples and you go, yeah, it's yes. a
0: fucking weird in bed. <laughs> now, one really fascinating thing that Burton does in this time is in 98 he actually directs his first ever television commercial. Oh. Which is for a French chewing gum called Hollywood Gum. I love this, man. It's a 30-second spot and features a garden gnome who escapes from his back garden and hitches a ride on a garbage truck. He ends up bathing in a pool in an enchanted forest glade and a young woman who looks like Lisa Marie is there, but it's not Lisa Marie. I get, very inspired by Liz her. for sure. <laughs> uh, maybe. Maybe indeed. So he he goes out and does that. And it's not something that Burton really wanted to do, but I guess he just wants to keep playing with things and and keep busy until we get to today's film, which is Sleepy Hollow. Now, before we dive into Sleepy Hollow, which you and I are itching to get there, Craig, I thought we'd take a little look at the cinematic landscape in 1999. That's the way it. Now, in terms of film... 1999, it wasn't known at the time, but actually would go on to become what many people consider the last sort of vintage year of films. Ooh. So, 1999 has so many amazing films released that for you and I, and it's probably because of the nostalgia attached to those films. Nostalgia
1: is attached to so many. Everyone, fucking 20 years from now, our fucking kids will be on the whatever thing they have yeah. at that time.
0: Yeah. <coughs> oh.
1: 2022. During the COVID years, they released so many fucking good movies.
0: <laughs> this is very true, Greg, And I'll be really fascinated to see what it is because you and I'll be sitting on a couch talking in the microphones, being like, Oh gosh. Did I you see that? Shit, Carter. <laughs> Did you see that black Adam? Oh my god. <laughs> what a place see. So outside of the huge list of films that are released in 1999 there's really no major changes to the business end of film but technologically 1999 is a real huge jump for filmmakers they start and you'll see the CG sort of work that's sort of been tested and they've dabbled in becomes very prevalent their major components of films in 1999 even live action things but we'll get there pretty soon Now, the big Oscar darling from 1999 was Sam Mendes' American Beauty. Wow. Now, it was nominated for eight Academy Awards, including five wins, which were Best Picture, Best Director for Sam Mendes, Best Actor for Kevin Spacey, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Cinematography. Now, it's also really fascinating in my research, Craig, I found that American Beauty is actually considered a film that really shifted the way that Oscar voting was done. Oh, really? And I didn't know this. Is this because of the Weinsteins? I'm not sure if the Weinsteins were involved. They didn't pop up. They could in the background. But really, this is the film that at the time, no one really... Generally, every year, there is a film that everyone's like, this is going to be the big Oscar, darling. We know it's going to be the one. There wasn't one for 1999. Oh. So it became this thing where the votes were actually driven by the campaign and marketing itself. Uh. So... DreamWorks really mounted a huge marketing campaign around American Beauty as an Academy Award-winning film. Yeah. And so they really pushed and pushed and pushed. And that's what's really considered the reason that American Beauty won so many awards, despite it being a great film. Yeah. But they said the marketing campaign just really flooded the market in the lead-up to the Oscars. Makes sense. The other films that were were front-runners at the time were The Side House Rules. Love Side House Ross man. And Michael Mann's The Insider. Oh, fuck, wow. Which we've talked about here yeah. on the podcast. Now, we've also talked about a couple other films. So this is our fourth film from 1999 that we're talking about. The first we talked about was Sam Raimi's For Love of the Game.
1: Love of the Game. Love of Kevin Costner. Yes, we do. loving you, bro.
0: Ron Howard had Ed TV released. Man, underrated. Very underrated. A lot of fun. And as we mentioned, Michael Mann's The Insider. Yeah. Which was my favorite film from the Michael Mann rated. season. So there were three great films already out that year, which we've had a great time talking about. You can check those out anywhere. Also, Heat's
1: released on 4K, so go
0: for it. Get on that. In and reviews 4K.
1: are that some of them you have to adjust your TV for some of the scenes, but the visuals of like their skin, the actual like... The patterns on their shirts and and their yeah, suits wow. is
0: fantastic. Oh man, it's one of those films, isn't it? Heat. We talk about it here for like thirty seconds, and I am like, I could watch that again. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I think
1: we talked about it with Blake as well that um, it's one of those films that whenever you go, you um, whenever
0: there's a new release, you yep. want to upgrade it. hundred percent. And I'll buy this. I'll upgrade it. Hundred percent. Um, the top grossing films for nineteen ninety nine are Craig. At number one, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Fantastic. Nine hundred and twenty-four million dollars—that's almost a billion-dollar film in the nineties. Crazy! Damn, that's hey, huge, right? It was Star Wars, man.
1: I remember the posters. Oh, How me fucking amazing too. were those. That was Shadow that mar- Pass poster. <gasps> How amazing was that marketing Ooh, campaign?
0: Doggy. Ah, uh, The Sixth Sense. Fantastic. Was number two. Let me show you my, Toy Story Two was released. <laughs> Which one is that? Toy Story Two is that they're gonna get sold. Woody, oh yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Woody's Jessie, the...
0: Bullseye, yeah, Al's yeah. toy barn, Kelsey Grammer. Great one, yeah, Kelsey Grammer. Some uh, editing that's been done on future releases of that movie. He's oh. In the in the spoofs at the end, you know how there's the bloopers at the end. Yeah. There's a scene where Stinky Pete with Kelsey Grammer, uh, his box gets turned around. There's two Barbie dolls in there, and he's like, you know, if you want, I could talk to the uh, director about. Future oh. things and he <laughs> makes a comment like that which says that he's using his uh ah, his okay. status to lure women. He's the Weinstein doll. So they've uh removed that. At number four, the Matrix. Yep, fantastic. Number five is Disney's Tarzan. Never seen it. Here's one that you know what I watch
1: I heard the Collins song. The Doug soundtrack Doug Collins, is Collins. a banger. Yeah.
0: Phil Collins is just absolutely rips And the it. burger that came out. You talk about that burger, <laughs> oh, double quarter pounder with bacon. Fuck yes. I oh. love it. Uh, favorite num- part of that movie. Number six is a personal favorite of the Reed House. Actually, six and seven are personal favorites of the Reed House. The Mummy at number six. I love the Mummy with Brendan Fraser. Hey man, GQ Man of the Year. Is he? Yeah, man. Go love Brendan. you. Love
1: your revival.
0: I love. He is. He just seems like such a man. It's. I hope it, it doesn't ever get undone, but he just seems mm. such an honorable man.
1: Yeah, you won't even go. You won't it. go to the Golden, Golden Globes.
0: Globes. No, love it. Uh, number seven, Notting Hill. Uh, How great I is that movie? Fucking love that movie. Reece Evans uh, is so hilarious that in that movie.
1: I know it's so funny to see him now in like The House of the Dragon. Yeah, you know, and he's just this ruthless guy,
0: amazing actor. He he is an incredible actor. Yeah. Actually, he can just transform himself from. Funny to kind to menacing. Oh, man, he's good. Uh, Number eight, The World Is Not Enough. Ooh, the world is is not enough. enough. Uh, At number nine, American Beauty. Ah, yep. Number 10 was Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, oh, which blew man. my mind. That took $312 million. Man, Austin Powers was hilarious, man. It was. Fucking very hilarious, much hilarious,
1: so. man. Every one of those movies, I have to admit, are fucking hilarious. Yet, I haven't watched them in years. I revisited. So I'm sort of scared.
0: I bought. Actually, they hold up. They're really oh, funny. Oh, good, good. Mike do, that, Myers they, is so do you reckon
1: good. they just hold up
0: for us? Well, there's probably I that first Austin Powers, mm. I watched so many times. Like, yeah. I mean, so many times, Craig. Oh, I was yeah. literally late to my high school math exam, my final ever math exam, because <laughs> I was watching it again. Um, But do you was know really interesting? A couple of years ago, I bought uh just off an Amazon deal, uh, non-sponsors Amazon, from the US. I got a box set of Austin Powers, which was all three films for like $9. I was That's like, good. what a bargain. That's a good set. They have a different cut of the film to what I grew up watching. Oh, really? And it's really interesting because there's the scene where the the steamroller scene with the henchman. And he's like, no. Fucking classic. And they have that moment where he gets run over and then it cuts to his family and she's like rolling the dough. Yeah. And they talk about no one ever thinks about the life of a henchman. That's actually deleted scenes for the... Uh, American market. Oh, really? They never had those moments in the film. They just love the violence. And so it just continues on and then... Where it would cut, it just goes to the moving on. And but he, that's one of the greatest jokes. It's I one know of the most
1: meta, amazing jokes about it.
0: And so that gets cut out. So it's really sad because every time I watch it, I was <laughs> like, like a
1: father to yeah, me. That's <laughs> <it's> <laughs> right. <laughs> can you, can you fucking cut that it's out. So
0: that's one good. of the most brilliant things ever. They cut that out of the the US version. Dad died I <laughs> know <laughs> oh, Steve's been like, <laughs> like, a, like a father, father to, to me. me. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> which ah. yeah, so the international version I've um, I'm yet to purchase so oh, that fuck. I can have the the version that I really want to see, Yeah. it?
1: Oh, my God. I can't now, believe they cut that.
0: other movies that are released... Fuck you, John Peters. Is, um, <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> I hope that's a thread. Brendan Fraser's having a great year. He had a blast from the past come out this year I as well. I didn't mind that,
1: too. Christopher Walken, Christina Alicia Ricci. Silverstone. Alicia Silverstone. Alicia Silverstone, yep. yeah.
0: October Sky was released. Had um, It's the Joe Johnson film, Where the Kids Make the Rocket. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So great. Uh, also in here was... Uh, Cruel Intentions Love Cruel Intentions And that soundtrack Yep Absolutely like every, cracking every, I was
1: listening to that the other day Posebo fucking Bohemian
0: Lock, stock Two Smoking Barrels
1: Oh fantastic hey, there, was, there was an interview with him the other day Guy Ritchie Guy Ritchie yeah And he's going through um, It was Snatch 20th Anniversary Oh and I so love that movie It's, it's this um, So he watches the film Again yeah and he hasn't watched it in ages and and he goes through it and he and he talks about it. His experience watching a film after 20
0: years. Wow. Yeah, it's I really like to good. Watch it. It's really good. I love Mason He's God so actually. cockney, man. Oh, he's got a new movie coming out in a couple of weeks' time. Oh, it's that one with the crazy poster of like Channing Tatum, and there's like, it looks like some weird European movie that's got um, Hugh Grant <laughs> oh, in there as well.
1: Oh, nom de guerre. Yeah, something oh, like that. Oh, that looks hilarious. Yeah, so that one's coming Jason out. Jason Statham.
0: Jason Statham as well in there. 10 um, Things I Hate About You is released
1: i love 10 things
0: election
1: idle hands idle hands wow yeah i was reading an article about Devin Sauer.
0: Devin he's really funny on twitter if ever you follow him, is he yeah really that, that's funny. idle hands isn't it yeah idle yeah. hands for sure uh joan of arc we love lily oh, old subby. uh big daddy with adam oh wait Sam. no 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 she's not
1: joan of arc's not that's mila hojovic
0: no, Joan of Arc it, the one that I'm talking about is the uh T V series. The, the Lily's Serbius Okay, guy. yeah, cool. Um You are right. Big Daddy with Adam. Because we talked about that. We have talked teams about that. Uh the South Park movie was released. Ah. Wild Wild West, as we mentioned. Wiki Wiki. American Pie. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The Blair Witch Project. Wow. Yeah. Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. Stanley Kubrick's Last one. I film. know. The Iron Giant. What a fantastic yeah, Bowfinger! My God, yeah. <laughs> stir of echoes,
1: stir. Of, man, I love stir. Yeah, it, it, it was creepy. So as, tragic hey. that it just fell into the shadow of the Sixth Sense.
0: It, totally, totally. Because it, it holds up. I don't it think Sixth fantastic. Sense doesn't hold well, up as well.
1: There's a there's there's hardly anything where with Kevin Bacon that doesn't hold up. Truth, you know what I mean? Like he's just going to be the one of those actors that he's just. Just talent, uh, talent all through. I can't yep. find any films that I really disliked him or the film.
0: It's very true. There's probably a
1: lot. There's a heap of films
0: he's done, so we'll see. Uh, also released was Three Kings, which I absolutely love. love that film. Would uh, love to see the fight. Oh, me too. Uh, fight Club's released. Oh, fantastic! Amazing. Being John Malkovich.
1: I only got halfway through it. Catherine Keener.
0: Is it Catherine Keener? Uh, Cameron Diaz.
1: Yep, Cameron Diaz. Uh, John,
0: Malk- uh, John, Malkovich. Yeah, John Malkovich. John, John Cusack. Mm. Uh, the Bone
1: Collector was released. Loved The Bone Collector. Read the yep. books, man. The Lincoln rhyme, rhyme books were fun. Link and good. Rhyme. good, man.
0: TV series that came out a few years ago, not so much.
1: Oh, really? Never watched it.
0: It was, they did the whole book of The Bone Collector across a whole season of like 14 episodes oh, or something. Oh, wow. And, that would have been hard. And there was a little- It's not a big book. Well, there were like little crimes every week they had Oh, to okay, okay. So it became like a procedural at the same okay. time, which you get, ugh. Um, as we mentioned, The Insider's released, Dogma's released. Great. Uh, Bicentennial Man for Robin oh, Williams. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. That Mate. was sad, man. Yeah, that, that made me That was heaps cry. sad. Yeah, it made me cry too. Magnolia. Oh, wow. What yeah. a fantastic year. Girl Interrupted. So, Angelina Joel wins Academy it. Award for that uh, any given Sunday. Oh, watch that love so love that many movie times. so much. Johnny uh, Fox
1: talks about that on that.
0: Oh, does he? Actors Roundtable oh, I watch. I love that movie so much. Man, he His talks about Willy. it. It's Willie Beamer. <laughs> 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 Makes the ladies creamer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, Jim Carrey was incredible in The Man on the Moon. Oh, he was incredible. Galaxy Quest is released.
1: One of my favorite films, man. And there's a mad docker about Galaxy Quest.
0: Is there? Yeah, yeah, there oh, is. I gotta track there that is. down. I gotta watch that. I love that movie. Talented Mr. Ripley is also released. Oh, wow, that was awesome. And hard. the hurricane. This is a fantastic year. What a cracking year. I know. So that's the cinematic landscape for 1999. And so you could imagine there's a lot what going a on in landscape. there. Um a lot of variety, lots of comedy, there's horror, there's all sorts of things going on, but it's also an incredibly blockbuster year. So we're talking um, almost a billion dollars through to $300 million in the top 10. So you can imagine a film like Sleepy Hollow, where does that sit? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like, it's not an outlier, but it's also not within what's going on.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's not, doesn't seem like in trend.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. But
1: that's, you know, that's Burton. That's Burton. That is very Burton.
0: That's very Burton. So, Craig, for those at home who might have seen Sleepy Hollow before, it might have been a little while, maybe they've never seen it at all, and could do with a little refresher or a hint of what the film's about, let's just take a moment and let's just hear about it. Set in early 1800s America, the small town of Sleepy Hollow
1: is rocked by three decapitations a cowardly but brilliant detective named Ichabod Crane is sent to investigate. Truly a world fit for Tim Burton's taste. Let's talk about Sleepy
0: Hollow. So good, Craig. Now, as we've heard previously, Tim Burton has been a little bit busy post-Mars attacks with a... Superman franchise. Yes, taking raunchy Unfortunately, BDSM photos. That, yeah, that's very true. Uh, with the massive disappointment of that falling apart, he gets asked if he wants to be a part of Sleepy Hollow. But the project itself had been developed long before that sort of late 90s where we found yeah. ourselves. In 1993, a makeup effects designer named Kevin Yeager has the idea of adapting he invented Washington's the Jager bomb. <laughs> uh, or the uh, giant mechanical suits that fight kaiju oh. um- <laughs> that's better He has the idea of adapting Washington Irving's short story Titled The Legend of Sleepy Hollow Mm -hmm. into a film Now Irving's short story is considered a literary classic An
1: American literary classic Let's let's, let's very much keep it to the culture that it's at (laughs) Very
0: much so And with that comes the connotations of more classic horror Like Bram Stoker's Dracula Rather than what we're about to find out it could have been So Jaeger had actually... Built a career in special effects and makeup effects. And he's actually the person credited for the iconic makeup we know now as Freddy Krueger. Fantastic. So that's sort of his thing. He also. That's a good thing. Um, came up with the Crypt Keeper for Tales from the Crypt. That is amazing. Yeah. And he's the designer behind the Chucky doll from the Child's Play movies. So this guy fucked with my head for years. So he, he is probably one of those designers that came up with a lot of the iconic horror designs that most people would associate. seen this guy's hurt my head. So he decides that after a lot of years working through the 80s that He's going to start dipping his toe into directing. Sounds good. And he helms a few episodes from Tales from the Crypt. I love Tales from the Crypt. I've got to re-watch that. With an idea for a Legend of Sleepy Hollow film, while working on Tales from the Crypt, he meets a writer named Andrew Kevin Walker. Now, I don't know if you've heard Andrew Kevin Walker's name before, Craig. No. But he's a, a screenwriter whose first script caused quite a stir in the early 90s when it sold. Now, that script was a little dark thriller named Seven. Mm, So his first film was Seven. And that took a number of years to get made after it was purchased, but he worked on Tales from the Crypt. And so he meets Jaeger and finds himself after his time there as an in-demand script doctor. Basically, as a script doctor, he gets brought in, they say, studios would say, we just don't fill the scripts up to scratch. Can you come in and work on A, B and C for us? Yep. And he would punch that out. He would get paid a sum of money, pretty much get uncredited for any of the work that he does on the film. Yep. And as we talked in our interview with Stuart Beatty, uh, he talks about the way that the name of who wrote the film yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that they did all this work. Yeah, exactly. It's percentages and negotiations. Very much so. So some of the uncredited rewrites he has is films such as David Finch's The Game. yeah, Event Horizon. yeah, 8 Millimeter, which was also released in 99, Stir of Echoes, and Fight Club. Fight. Club. So he's doing a lot of work around that time. And he actually goes on later in his career to write the unmade Silver Surfer film, which was to be a part yeah. of the Marvel world and he also did the original unmade Batman versus Superman script Ooh. from all those years ago so together with Jaeger uh, Andrew Kevin Walker they spend a few months working on a treatment for Sleepy Hollow now following the completion of this treatment they start shopping it around to production companies and studios to see if anyone would be interested, interested. and they find a home with mega producer Scott Rudin Oh, good place to be. Now, Rudin had previously loved Andrew Kevin Walker's Seven script and just jumped at the opportunity to get the next project from that guy. And you could imagine Seven was such a groundbreaking film. Oh, and it was
1: such brilliantly written, obviously,
0: and brilliantly directed. Oh, 100%. And so he jumps at this opportunity to work with this guy. Mm. Now, the deal was set up at Paramount Pictures with Jaeger to direct Andrew Kevin Walker, given screenwriting duties, and the two of them together, Jager and Walker, would be classed as story writers. So story by credit as well. Now, the plan was for the film to be a low-budget, pretentious slasher film, quote-unquote, with plans to have a spectacular murder every five minutes. Oh, wow. So I'm picturing sort of your I-know-what-you-did-last-summer style movie. Yeah, very true. You know? So with... Because they were big around that time, weren't they? That, that late 90s was where it was all happening. Yeah, exactly, films. yeah. Uh, so with pre-production underway, Jaeger goes off and sort of start, directs another film, which was Hellraiser Bloodline. Oh, wow. So once Hellraiser's completed, Paramount starts discussing again Jaeger's concept for Sleepy Hollow. And they were really concerned by the low-budget nature of the vision. Uh, ultimately for Paramount, they really struggled to see Jaeger's vision as a commercially viable option for the film. They want to make money. Yeah. There's no ifs That's or buts around it Yeah, great. they're a business. And so they actually say, look, we're going to keep moving on with the film, but unfortunately for you, Mr. Jaeger, you're going to be given a different role. And he was demoted to prosthetic makeup designer.
1: Oh...
0: Yeah, so he sort of gets there and the film pretty much gets shelved and sits untouched until 1998. (sighs) Now, in 1998, uh, head of Paramount, Sherry Lansing, begins to show interest in this project and starts looking to revitalise it. Uh, Now, there was a producer on board at the time called Adam Schroeder. Now, uh, Schroeder was previously involved at 20th Century Fox, and he was the head of, uh, he was one of the studio executives there, and he was the man who really hustled for Fox to get the rights to Edward Scissorhands back in the day. So he knew what it was like to work uh, with Burton, the sort of ethic and way he would make a movie behind the scenes. And he also had a bit of inside scoop that Superman Lives had sort of gone by the wayside. Okay, And so with that, he gave Burton a little bit of time and then reaches out and says, hey, I think we've got a project here at Paramount that I think you'd be great for. Would you like to come in and chat around this idea of Sleepy Hollow and the the legend of Sleepy Hollow and Ichabod Crane? Now, something I really loved is that for Burton, when he heard about this, it brought a lot of things back to his apprenticeship at Disney. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware, one of the early sort of uh, Disney animated films was uh, a film called The Tale of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, which is their Headless Horseman one. Yeah. Now, Burton's mentor in his apprenticeship at Disney Animation was one of the animators of the chase sequence in that film. Yeah, it fucking
1: terrifies me. It so terrified me.
0: Burton himself actually got to see all that stuff in real life as he was a teenager in the Disney animation studios. And he actually credits that chase sequence as something that really shaped what he does as a filmmaker. And so you could imagine there's all this. We've talked again about nostalgia, all this starts flooding to to Burton as he is told about it. And he thinks, I got to do this film. Yeah. Like I got to I've got to do it. So Burton is officially hired as director in June 1998. 98. Yep. Yeah. And so when we really think about this, Burton's hired and the turnaround is about 14 months to release Gee. of this movie, right? Yeah. Pretty crazy. So they uh he spends a bit of time with Andrew Kevin Walker and they begin honing the script and at the same time casting and pre-production really kicks into gear on this awesome. film. So Burton always had Depp in mind for the lead role of this film. Yeah. The studio though were pretty keen on someone else and they wanted Burton to consider Brad Pitt. Really? Now you'd probably say Brad Pitt's off the back of Legends of the Fall around this time. Yeah, plausible. And maybe seven years in Tibet as well in there.
1: Yeah, he's in his beautiful phase. So
0: he's very much in his uh, his gorgeous phase. Liam Neeson was also someone they really wanted looked at for the lead role, and Daniel Day-Lewis.
1: <sighs> yeah, they would have gone in so many different directions.
0: 100%. I can't imagine the comedy being handled by Daniel Day-Lewis. Or Liam Neeson. But when we talk about what the idea for the character of Ichabod Crane was, you might realise why... Daniel yeah, Day I can, I can, I can imagine board. why they went that way. Yeah. So, Depp gets cast late July 1998 and they start talking Burton and Depp around what they visioned the character to be. Yeah. How they want it to be. And Depp's vision for the character... Would actually see him with large prosthetic ears, similar to the the cartoon, <laughs> and a really long snipe nose. Oh god! Um, as well as very long fingers. So this would be another. And again, we've talked about the way Burton loves to have his lead character, basically, have some sort of costume or mask that is there. Yeah. Is, allows the actor to really step into it and, and dive into these the characters. The outcast. Yeah, and, it, and he talks about the freeness that that brings. There's a, a freedom that being dressed in these uh, in these outfits really brings. And so, as you can imagine, uh, the studio are not super keen on their heartthrob Johnny Depp, <laughs> having giant fake ears and Definitely. a long prosthetic nose. So they shut that down pretty quickly. But it actually leads both Burton and Andrew Kevin Walker to think, well, you know what, um, if his physical appearance is that of Johnny Depp, what can we do that actually conveys that this doctor isn't as great at what he should be? And this is actually where the birth of the fragile nature of Dr. Crane grows. Now, I found it really fascinating as well because I didn't know a lot about the poem, but in the poem he's actually a school teacher. Yeah. And so I he's had no drinking idea. at a bar. Oh, is
1: it? Yeah, and then, um, and then, yeah, and then he's riding home. And I think he's half drunk, and then yeah, the thing chases him.
0: Yeah, fascinating, fascinating. So, I, I really, I was just going through my head at the same time as you were talking as well, Craig, because there's that story about. Oh, I wish I knew the Halloween context of it, but it's like the guy that sells the soul. It's the reason you put jack o' lanterns out on your doorstep. Oh. Which is, the, the folk tale is that there was a guy drunk at a bar yes. and um, he swindles the devil into buying him more drinks. Ah. And the devil um, actually, like, becomes really angry and sort of, like, basically puts a curse on the town and the way to ward off the devil was to cut a face into a, a ah. pumpkin. You leave it on your doorstep and light the candle and that's the tradition of the jack Oh, that's Lamp. awesome. Um, so... In turn, so... Kurt Faustian. Yeah, very, very. So with Depp on board, um, they start looking at who will the other cast be, and Winona Ryder is offered the role of Katrina. Oh, okay. So Ryder turns it down, and that was when they reached out to Katrina Ricci, uh, ah. Christina Ricci. Uh, now, for Johnny Depp, it was actually a really odd casting choice for Ricci to be cast, because he had dated write writer for a number of years. Yeah. And it actually met Christina Ricci when she was nine years old <laughs> on the set of Mermaids. Oh, that's right. And they, wow. Yeah. And so they'd kept, not kept in touch. The only knowledge of this person for yeah. Johnny Depp, his love interest was to be this little girl that he'd met that oh. was nine years old. So it was really hard for him to put that aside and not yeah. have this be a, 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 a thought. So with Richie cast, they start reaching out. Burton starts bringing in a sort of cast of regulars to play Love Jeffrey it. Jones' is back. Yeah. He brought Michael Goff out of retirement. Oh, did he? Yes, yeah, so that's actually Michael Goff's last film is Sleepy Hollow. Mm. Um, I spent half the movie going, who is that guy? And then it dawned on me, it's Alfred. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: With the yeah, mullet, yeah, the, the, the yeah, wonky eye. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. so. Because that, that's what I was thinking. I, I know which one you're
0: talking about, it, but I was like, who is he again? Yeah, you're but right. But the townsfolk has, like, the cast of this film, you would die to have Michael Gambon in a film. Oh, man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, some, the emperor in there. That's right, that's right. He's in there. Uh, emperor Palpatine's there. So Ian McDermott's his name. Yeah. Um, I was trying to pick that one. So there's all this cast that I'm like. What in the world? Oh, like, no. what a huge cast! He's fantastic, and so oh, uh, Christopher Lee's in there. Oh, he is. Uh, um, Martin Landau. Martin Landau. Back. There's just like such a big. There is an in awesome here. cast in this, and they're great. Like, yeah. they are great. So, uh, with casting set, they start looking at where they're going to shoot. And initially, uh, they wanted to film in the US. Yep. But they really couldn't find anywhere. The plan was to find a location which was a pre-existing place that they could just come in, shoot, get out. Yeah. Unfortunately, the U.S. doesn't have a lot of that sort of Victorian era, era buildings around. Yeah. So someone made the, the statement, well, why don't we head over to the U.K.? Yeah. I think it was one of the producers. And we'll actually shoot on location in the U.K.? And so they're like, great idea. They get over there and realise, well, probably not going to be able to be done. We're probably going to have to build this from scratch because it's not going to fit our vision for the film in any way, shape or form. So they actually end up filming predominantly on sound stages. Oh, but still in the UK? In the UK. Probably Pinewood. In yeah. the UK. Well, they start start shooting on November 1998 at Leavesden Studios, which had literally just been vacated by Star Wars Episode One. Ah, Okay. It goes on to be the largest sets ever built Oh wow. at that time. So it was the largest sets ever built. And the forest sets themselves, uh, what's crazy is all of those sets were, were built in three months. Damn. So, they so that whole forest is a set. Yep. And it was so well made and maintained that in the film you actually hear bird noises when they're walking yeah. through the forest. The sound set actually had birds that flew in and began living in the set. Because, oh, awesome! Um, and they couldn't get out, so they're actually natural bird sounds within the within the set, um, which I thought was incredible. Because those sets are, are beautiful. Incredible. Beautiful. So all of that is like not real. That's amazing. That's friggin' amazing. Wild, isn't I it? I did not know that at so, all. So they start filming November '98. They wrap in April nineteen nine. Yep, and the film is released November nineteen ninety nine. Now, a little thing before we start talking about how the film was received, all that sort of stuff. I don't know if you noticed, Craig, but there was the name of a very famous producer on the title cards of this film. Did you see Francis Ford yes, Coppola's name? Yes, that's
1: right. It? I did. Executive producer, just as he's walking into the town.
0: Yep. Tim Burton had no idea of Coppola's involvement until he saw a cut of the trailer and it lists Coppola's name on the on the trailer. Oh my God. And basically what it was is American Zotrope. Yeah. It was a production company, yeah. which at the time was owned by Francis Ford Coppola, yeah. now owned by his kids. But that year they had three films get released. I'm pretty sure Stir of Echoes was another one. Yeah. So he served for any of those projects that their production company made as an executive producer on the film. No input whatsoever, just making that sweet cash. So I thought that was really fascinating. But the film's released November 99 uh, with a budget of $70 million. The film took $207 million worth Wow, that is fantastic. That really is, considering how stacked that year is. Fantastic. It did really well. Uh, received generally positive reviews. And most people praise Depp's performance yes, in the film. incredibly. And the extremely dark places that Burton took the film. Oh. And it gets dark and gory, doesn't dark it, Dark and shit, man. Hey, like
1: I, when I first started watching this, my son was walking in and out of the room. Oh, And for gosh. some reason I was like, yeah, yeah, man. Uh, and Brooke was, my wife was like, can Carter watch this? Like, yeah, from memory, pretty sure he can. Like this is in the first couple <laughs> of minutes. And then friggin' the horse the horseman chops off the um the driver's head and then chops off John uh Martin Landau's head. I'm like, you know what? Maybe not.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I man. am
1: glad because they are the most innocent kills of the whole. They film. certainly
0: are. They're a most It
1: is dark as and dirty as shit, man.
0: The... The way, I do love, there is a scene, let's just go there now while we're there. Yeah. The kills, there's a scene where uh, Depp talks about the fact that the cut is so quick and clean. Yeah. That it cauterizes the wound. Yeah. and I don't know if you noticed, there's literally one kill where he lops the head off someone and as he does it, steam comes out of the wound because it's obviously cauterizing the wound. And I was like... What a detail. But every time there is a headless corpse on the ground, there's awesome. that flap of skin. I oh, know. Like they sort like of the lift last bit, up. Yeah. Oh, oh goodness. When he when he's
1: doing like the autopsies and shit.
0: And even like the scenes where the blood's like spraying on Johnny Depp's face, like they're comical moments, but they're so like you feel queasy at the same time. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? It's oh, it, it's, 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 made, it's made to be queasy. And you, and you feel Johnny Depp's pain. Yes, you do. You sure do. Um, so, Craig, I'd love to know, going into this film, yeah. when was the last time you watched it?
1: Probably not long ago. Probably about two, three years ago.
0: Wow, that's relatively fresh.
1: Mm, oh, I love this movie.
0: Oh, so fascinating. So... I guess I I'd love to know then Craig because we're we're really getting this is eighth film of the mm. the journey so far. What do you go in expecting one knowing it's a film you love? Yeah. But two through the Burton lens that we we're, we're doing. Excited. Yeah. Just very excited.
1: Like I uh, just knowing it was a known um it was a known quantity to me, you know what I mean? Where obviously you know it's Some of them I was, you know, a little disappointed. Some of them I was genuinely surprised. This one I was like, I'm pretty safe on this ride, man. I know this ride. But to be honest, went a very different, like went a higher direction than I thought it would.
0: Fascinating, isn't it? The way Mm -hmm. it it played out. Yeah. Uh, It had been 11 years since I'd watched this movie. Oh, Jeff. I checked my spreadsheet. I was like, and I just brought it up again so i could be like when was it so yeah, it's more than 11 years since i'd last watched this film which is pretty crazy because it's a film that in my mind i always enjoyed watching yeah um fascinating for me i guess when what i expected was i expected it to be dark i did not expect it to be as dark and gory as it was yeah that was a shock to me uh It actually reminded me a lot of Johnny Depp was in another film around this time called From Hell where he's like... Yeah, I thought they were very
1: similar. The Alan Moore comic book.
0: Yes, um, which is very... It's a a graphic novel, but it's a very graphic, graphic novel. Oh, yeah, (laughs) Um, it's Alan Moore. But what was really fascinating, I guess I was expecting it to be more whimsical and more paired back like we've sort of found his films are. You know what, so many times we've gone, in my mind, it was so much darker. In my mind, like, it was, like, not as kind and bright and things like that. But this is literally Tim Burton going balls-to-the-wall dark. This is Burton going,
1: fuck it. You know what I mean? Like, it it feels like after the whole drama of you know, Superman, Lynch, yes. which is brilliant to watch and then come into this film and just see Burton go, look, I'm just going to make my film, man. Yeah. And I just want to be dark as shit about it. Do like, you think there's
0: an element of anger in there? There's like a, oh, the, like there, an aggression that he just had to a, get out? Yeah,
1: there is like there is like a pent-up aggression to yeah. um, it. Um, then there's also just like him going – I'm going to push the limit now.
0: Yeah. I want to push it a little bit more and just yeah, see yeah, what yeah. I can get away with. Yeah. And yeah, and he does. It's his first MA rated film that Makes we've, we've, we've come across. I'm surprised it wasn't more. Um, and you could imagine in the States, it was probably an R17. Yeah, exactly. Um, or whatever the R's are. Um, really it's fascinating. NC 17 is like the n- real hardcore one. So I don't know if it'd be there, yeah. but um, I thought it was really interesting though. He, Burton says, he goes, uh, he made a comment about, I think it was in the the Burton on Burton book. He talks about, it made sense for me to do this film, but I was surprised that the genre that I love so dearly, I'd never actually had to go it. Yeah, it's true. And the and closest so, he came
1: was Edward Scissorhands. Yeah.
0: And so you go. And that was scenes. That's true. It's so bizarre that Tim Burton has not made a horror film.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's, he, it's, he's always made dark fairy tales. Yep. But it was just awesome for him to go back to the fairy tale roots. Yes. You know, like
0: the Brothers Grimm type fucking fairy tale roots. And there is a Fairy Brothers Grimm element to this, isn't oh, incredibly, there?
1: Incredibly, man. The, the, that holds, it doesn't, it holds no, but man, he kills a little kid. He he certainly does Like not Tim Burton himself You know not that I know but of But the horseman Yeah the horseman Lops puts, off a little kid's he head He
0: puts a tiny head in his bag Fantastic He goes for fucking it doesn't he Fantastic And those twins are creepy
1: Oh man Those twins are mad creepy
0: yep. I hate twins
1: <laughs> oh, Seriously man I'm not a big fan of twins They're Like identical twins Like if you are just twins I don't care But if you're a little twins Especially girls man Fucking freaks me out Thanks Kubrick incredibly man seriously i brookies always tease me about it because like there was a while there where i just kept running into them and that would always be like just them like i'm like every time i see fucking like identical twin girls there's not a fucking parent to be found. I'm like, where the <laughs> fuck's your parents? So fucking stare at me? Probably because I'm staring at them like they're just shit on the floor or something. Just like, I broke a don't worry. I'm like, they're horrible.
0: I don't like it. I don't, I don't like it. it. You're getting them it's out of my so face. It's just
1: me punching kids and having to get ushered out of target.
0: <laughs> out of target. I love it. Um, I, I do really, really enjoy this film. And I'm probably a bit shocked, Craig, that... It's not more of a Halloween film. Incredible. You know people yeah, are like, exactly. You know, like they love Nightmare Before Christmas. That's like yeah. everyone jumps on that. But in my eyes, this is like a genuine Halloween film. Oh, this is a fantastic.
1: But I guess Nightmare Before Christmas is more general audience. But man, if you just want a film that, that has that horror quality without going fucking balls deep into like the Terrifier or something like that. Yeah. This. Is it?
0: It's so true, and it's got this real. There's a law to it that I love. Yeah, there you is. know, there. They, this is a world that it's strangely it's got roots in American history. Yeah, and you go, oh well, this could be a real story. You yeah. know, this is this is like almost like you know we we talk about Norse mythology and stuff like that. This is like the closest thing to American mythology. This though. is
1: yeah, American folklore. This is by far. It's it's, it's it. It's part from. I guess, where you delve into the Wild West. Yes. There's not much, especially around that area, around that region, apart from if you're going into, I guess, the only thing around this time would be, and it's touched upon in films, you know, Salem.
0: Yes. Yeah, Yeah. the witches. And this does dabble in that. Oh, yeah. And it's a a good change to it too as well. Well, I love, I will say, I love that first dream sequence that he's having, which is... All of those dream sequences
1: are brilliant.
0: Where he's remembering his mother and his childhood with that little boy that's such a funny looking little kid. Oh, isn't he hilariously funny, man? He's like he just reminds me of a baby. But if a baby was sort of expanded somehow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's maybe the way that it's just acted out. But Oh, his um, little weird bowl cut and yeah. shit. You know what I mean? That'd be like, Ugh. And his little knickerbockers. He's got those like yeah, knickerbocker exactly. bands. Uh but it's those dream sequences they're like such a shift in pace in the film and they really they're so beautifully shot so bright and colorful and i was really blown away in this film craig by how many i think this is a real anchor film for burton there's so many things he's trying in this film that he obviously nails because he emulates again later whether it's you know, Crane looking out that circular window down the street. There's a shot that he like looks out upon, yeah, uh, London. And at the start of the film, that's like that shot is copied in Sweeney Todd, and that Victorian London. These could almost be sister films.
1: Yeah, you, you could, know, you like could, you could see Ichabod running into fucking.
0: To yeah, Sweeney, Sweeney Todd, Todd. <laughs> you know, or watching, you know, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's character singing his little Signor Pirelli. Uh, but so, like, I love it. And, you know, again, there's those beautiful sweeping shots over London and those elements through the streets that you go, oh, there you are, Mr. Mm. Burton. There's so much goodness coming. It it's
1: always good seeing, like, early New York types. You're like yeah, the, hey, yeah, yeah. You always just
0: go, oh, fuck. Yeah, early New York, sorry, uh, not London. Um, yeah, man, yeah, but like it really is. There's so many little elements that I go, "Wow, he's having so much fun in this film."
1: Uh, it's and it's weird. It's like the fact that what you just said earlier—that he's never jumped. He's he's never. You can see he's like he's just having so
0: much fun. It's it's got again. We've drawn parallels throughout the season to Sam Raimi. Yeah, and it feels like the way a Raimi film feels, which is there's such dark content. Like, These are literally this is gory, yeah. You know, when a head gets cut off, it's not just a little drops to the ground. No, he's making sure you know that is like there's like when the
1: head falls between that dude's uh, between Ichabog's legs, yep. and then he puts the friggin' sword in tight through of his the head. top of its head. Love it,
0: so great, isn't Love it, Craig? It. Oh, it, it, he's having so much fun and. You can't help think of Sam Raimi, who just seems to have this
1: gleeful joy doing it. I could imagine Sam Raimi watching this film and going, oh, I love this film.
0: Yeah, let's put it on. Let's have some fun. Yeah. It's just going to be, I can see this being like, you know, like people have guilty pleasure movies. Yeah. It'd be like Sam Raimi's like, time for the Ichabod. Yeah, exactly. Incredible. Let's get it out there. And so I just, oh man, so much that I love about this movie. Let's talk Johnny Depp.
1: Yeah, let's talk Johnny Depp.
0: I have to say, Craig, I've been loving this season because I'm getting to see I was just probably reminded at how nuanced Johnny Depp can be as an actor. Mm. And actually, how much like comedic timing he has? Yeah. He can play those moments like, you know, the little turn away looking like he's going to vomit just so no one knows that he's like not coping with this moment or the moments of there's one where he lets out a really girly scream on top of the stage coach. Um, <laughs> you, you know the moment I'm talking about. Oh, seriously. Oh, oh,
1: seriously. I, without a doubt, think this is Johnny Depp's, one of his best roles.
0: Oh, he's ever. so much fun. isn't he? Ever.
1: And it's one of those characters. It's one of my favorite characters of all, all time out of every movie. And it's because of what Johnny Depp brings to it. It's so great, I, isn't it? It's, it's, and I, I think I've said it before, but the whole idea of that, this man is a coward after the fact of being so brave. Yeah. is just amazing to me. Like the fact that they bring him across as this coward who then gets on a horse and runs into the fucking forest yes. who chases and fights with a headless horseman. And obviously collapses at the end. I just, oh, I have so much, I just so much love for this character like Ichabod Crane and how well Johnny Depp does that. Yeah. Like if, I think if you played this one straight, it would never hold as dear to me or I guess as many other people as it does. But because he played it that, you know, that intelligent, quirky, um, heartfelt but also just cowardly brave. Yeah, so you know what good, I mean? It, it is just amazing. Just absolute, I Seriously,
0: I can't stop. I can't give enough praise to Johnny Depp in this film. I love it because there are little moments like you see his intelligence come through decisions that they make yeah. for Depp's performance. Like the first time that he sees the Headless Horseman, on the horse which you find out is a practical joke played by Casper Van Dien. Yeah. Um but that moment he's too terrified to ride into the woods and chase him. But then the next time it happens he's survived it and yeah. he's overcome the fear so then he gets on the horse and and is brave. And there's a there's an almost scientific sort of approach in that, you yeah. know, like oh I've deduced that this is not that scary. So therefore I can jump in and and do this. You know, but then later he screams out of fear. I I love cuz
1: he embodies my personal belief in what courage is. Yes. Like I don't believe I don't believe courage and bravery is n- being fearless, I think fearless is for people who have no brains. Yeah. Um, I think courage and bravery is when you're fucking scared, but you do it anyway. Yes. And that's what I love about him. You can tell he's terrified. He's like us. You know, if we were like, uh, but there's a sense of duty and responsibility where yes. he just goes, like, you know, if I, like you know, there's a lot of times at night where you know I'll wake up and I I'm not comparing myself to a he- chasing a headless horseman. But you hear <laughs> noises outside and you're like, oh, I don't want to get up, but you're like. I have to. It's my duty. It's my responsibility. Yep. And you get up and you fucking do it anyway.
0: Have and, you? Have you got you, the bat, Craig? Have you got the bat?
1: Oh, uh, I, I have a bat. Yeah, yeah. It's a handle. Oh, uh, oh yeah. I know. Exactly, oh, exactly. oh. I know. I'm, I'm very fancy because the handle's got a, like a. It's got like a. You know, it's got the proper grip and all that. <laughs> pretty good. Pretty damn good. But yeah, and you and you just go out and you check this shit and you're just like, but that's what I love about it. Like that's why I'm so I I'm so. Just feel for every time he's on the screen, yep. he's brilliant. He's he brilliant. sure is. He like, sure honestly, is. one of my favourite roles and one of my favourite roles But
0: I love it too because, like, his inventions yeah that are a part of his character, which are very Burton. Oh, incredible Burton, man. And there's this beautiful... The way they're done, they're very animation-like. Yeah. So, you know, the giant, like, telescopic, like eye lens that he pops on and things like that you go oh man you can see that happening in a cartoon and it's very very funny
1: and you can see why they built those quirks into him because yeah let's be honest fucking depp looks just dashing
0: he in does that old
1: school times like and everything like that you know he's got this oh he even got a fucking spit curl down his yep. arm down his hair Fucking great looking dude just an amazing looking dude and then like every time the Dev goes with um Burton, yeah, they find a way to just oh you look you look handsome. Let's throw some blood on it,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
1: let's let's do and every they... <laughs> time that he looks dashing. Let's add in something that totally takes you away from it, yes, and makes you just remember the quirk of it, which is brilliant.
0: Uh, that's well, what I it love. brings the character out in him, like exactly. He's not the character, yeah, it's, yeah. I've, that's why he's always managed to sidestep part of that. Yes, I do love. it. They really whip that blood in his face too when really? it. Like it hits him so hard. He sort jolts back. I <laughs> oh. uh, love that so much. Yeah, I love there was like one tool he had where it was sort of like a um like a big hook sort of yeah. thing on his hand. And again you look at it and you go, Oh man, there's so many little elements that they've drawn like, oh, what would a refined Edward scissor hands be like? <laughs> you know, all these <laughs> yeah, moments exactly. that you go, Oh wow, it's so tactile. So it makes sense. It's like this evolution of Burton within that character in so many ways. So great. I just love it. Um, fun little fact I found, Craig. Yep. Did you know that uh, the stunt person for the Headless Horseman? Yeah. That did all the horse riding in that costume has big ties to the number one film for 1999. Ooh. Which Darth Maul himself. That's Ray Park. It's Ray Park. The Headless oh, wow. Horseman Anytime it's not Christopher Walken Obviously yeah Which... uh, That's Ray Park With that big costume on Riding the horse That's brilliant Around And I had no idea at all Craig That that was Absolutely brilliant Ray Park. I didn't so, know that at all um, Can we talk the uh, Origin story of the The Headless Horseman Yeah And The way I love Craig The way that it plays out Almost like A mystery Yeah not that, you know, it, it's not playing out in the sense of a traditional horror movie, which is just like, how do we survive? How do we survive? And then along the way, you stumble across something that goes, oh, it's an ancient burial ground. Let's yeah. kill the book. You know, like your Evil Dead style. I love the fact that this is, he's actually doing investigation because he's a police officer to start with. Um Then. He's digging up bodies and he's discovering that one of them was a pregnant lady. And, you know, all these things that you start discovering along the way that leads to the discovery of someone stole the, ho- the head of the horseman. How do we work this out? And that freaky visit to the witch's house on oh, the journey?
1: Yeah, the sister. Oh.
0: That was like... Really, Northman esque wasn't it? That's (laughs) pretty
1: hardcore. eh? I love that bit. That is fantastic, especially like she dives out and you know, first puts the chain on and you see Johnny Depp's face go, hmm.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yeah, so great. And there was that really Burton moment. There was that like large Marge uh, clay animation where she sort of opens the veil and oh, sort yeah. of has the big oh, tongue superb. and the eyeballs coming out. And you go, Whoaza! and then it settles to the creepy version, which is no eyes, no mouth, just looking very scary. But I, I just love the, the way we're brought along on the journey. One of the investigation. Yeah. And then Burton lets us in on some dreams about depth, mum, Yeah. And some dreams about his connection to witchcraft some dreams about why he might be attracted to Christina Ricci, you know. Because he's got mummy issues. Well, yes, he does. Uh, and then again, you get little elements of actually what happened to the Headless Horseman. Yeah. And the way that his story plays out for him to be so vengeful and, and things. I love that the second in
1: Ichabod's mind, the second it becomes supernatural, it doesn't change the way he investigates.
0: He's got the same approach, doesn't he? He's got he? the
1: exact same approach. So in other movies, okay, it becomes supernatural. We need a supernatural MacGuffin. You know what I mean? And, yeah. And, and, no, not this one. No, no supernatural MacGuffin. He's still, he goes, okay, well, and then finally deduces that, well, there's someone here behind the supernatural um, occurrence, who's causing it all. And I love it. And then he has to go through the investigative process, like through that.
0: It's so great, isn't it? Is it is brilliant. It's brilliant. It's so great. It really made me want to do a double feature of From Hell because from memory, it was I've very got to procedural watch hell like again. that again. Um. So I really wanted to to dabble in that. I also love his little offsider and that little... Mm, um, love that dude. He who just looks lost like his a, dad. M- a mini... Tim Burton, yeah, he does. He does look like Tim
1: <laughs> Burton, and ends up just being a servant for him.
0: Yeah. Which, oh well, his
1: dad was a man servant, so yeah.
0: It's it's just a natural progression for him. Yeah, I that. love it,
1: just like obviously, and seeing you know the, he's just making a kid carry all the fucking luggage. <laughs> like, why didn't you just get the get the guy to drop you off in front of your house? Why? Oh, let's stop here and do a gentle little walk while you're carrying all my fucking luggage.
0: <laughs> love it bus. so much. But I really love the way that that. Little relationship plays out. The, it the is a good cool little relationship. Mentorship relationship. I uh, I do love Christina Ricci in this. She's as beautiful, well. isn't she? Absolutely
1: beautiful. Yeah.
0: There and there's a way that she looks so it's be, she's bewitching. Yeah. So you can imagine she is a witch. There's something about her that you go oh, but at the same time, compared to her stepmother, yeah, you go well. She's definitely a witch. Whereas Christina Ricci just has this look that there's a sweetness to her that you go.
1: I think they do the whole white witch, black witch, like dark witch way pretty, pretty good. They do, don't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: They really, they really reach that well. And it's not, again, like the moment where, you know, he stumbles across the mum in the woods with a guy. Yeah. And she's like cutting her hand and <laughs> making sacrifices and things like that. Um, I actually had to when I watched it, I just looked away for two seconds and came back and was like, Is that Christina Ricci doing that? And then I had to rewind and go, Oh no, it's the mum. It's the mum. Um which the dude is really strange on a second viewing. He's just kissing her corset. Yeah. <laughs> Jeffrey Jones. Oh, was that Jeffrey Jones?
1: You don't realise until Jeffrey Jones gets hit and dies. And it's meant and I just realized this watch. Like I always I always knew it was Jeffrey Jones, but he didn't realise that it was a set-up reveal ten twenty minutes later in the church where he gets hit and he falls to the ground and it just zooms in on his hair because it's just lush his oh, lush hair yes. that you see. And then in the um church When he falls and the wig comes off him, then you see his lush hair and you're meant to go, okay.
0: oh." And she's been having an affair with him. Yeah.
1: Or she has an affair with everyone. Yes. Mm.
0: Oh, that makes so much sense, Craig. Thanks for that. Awesome. How about, I'm glad you brought up the church scene because that little scene where he rips the fence post off.
1: Brilliant. And... That is just... That is just chaotic. I love the it? fact that it's basically... There's a fight inside. There's a fight outside. There's a girl doing witchcraft on the inside as well. Yeah. And then, yeah, good old Michael Gambon just getting done like that.
0: Ooh, got, love it. And the colour of the blood that he uses throughout the film... Beautiful. Is like so. It's got that orange red going on. Yeah, real, it's almost
1: that old school pig's blood, but yeah. it has a little bit more sheen to it than that.
0: It's and it's funny because I love much sugar in it. I love the opening where we're sort of it's alluding to the fact that there's blood, and then we realise it's actually wax.
1: Ah, uh, that's cool. Yeah, that I remember letter. that. Yeah,
0: I remember going, "Wow, where's the blood at the start." Yeah, yeah, and and I was like, "Oh man, he loves a good opening credits." Does he? opening credits
1: are fantastic.
0: So good. Um, I really, really like this film, Craig. Mm. It's been such a, uh, uh, um, not a revelation, because I think this isn't like a, oh, well, that surprised me a lot, say like a Mars Attacks, which I was like, wow, I'm blown away by how much I like that. But what I probably have loved about this film is the fact that it holds up so well. Yeah. Like considering it's, you know what would it be 20, 20, 20 odd years old? Yeah. So it holds up really well. I love that there was a little bit of um
1: personal growth you saw obviously from Burton. There's like a little symbolism where you see him destroy his own. You know the um the windmill windmill yeah. And it's almost, that's almost like him putting his flag into, you know, this whole movie strikes me as when you get an, an awesome sportsman who finally gets to play in his home ground. Yes. You know what I mean? In front of his home crowd. Yeah. And this is for my home crowd. You know what I mean? And they're always, you know, all like a comedian. They're always that bit funnier when they're on their home crowd because they're more yep. relaxed. You know, they're chilling, they're throwing jokes out that only the home crowd understand. Yep. And this is that film. And I just, yeah. Fantastic.
0: So good. I do love in my research, I found that the tree, the design of the tree and the windmill, there was one other thing, I can't remember what it was. Sword?
1: But... So this sword looks like a like a dangerous version of fucking Mary Poppins yes, umbrella. Yes,
0: totally. Um, I was waiting for it to talk. The, <laughs> um, those things were actually already designed, and they had artwork for all of it, and that was part of the the pitch to get Burton oh, involved poor, yeah, bomb. with this. So those those things were all elements that they were really like, yes, we can get this happening. You know, um, I love that explosion of the miniature um windmill. I love it. I don't know why it explodes like that, but I don't fucking care. Like not me either. I
1: don't care. It goes, I, and it's one of the funniest lines in the whole film. Where he goes, "Is he dead?" Well, that's the hard part. He was dead to begin with. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love. I fucking love Depp in his. There's, I fucking a, there's love another this moment movie. in the film as well, which was like I've learnt that it was an improvised um, line, which someone's like oh, you better be careful. You don't want to lose your head. And uh, and that was just a little improvised moment in the in the moment. So I, I do love that moment. But yeah, Def is so good in this film, isn't it? So funny. Do you think this is – would you say this is his best Burton performance, Craig? As of now,
1: yeah. I yeah. really don't want to push anything because uh, I was really impressed, even though it's I don't hold the movie as high as this one. I am impressed with his Willy Wonka. Yeah. I know he's done. I fucking love Dark Shadows. Yes. Um, and I don't want to jump out just yet and just, you know, say this is it. Yeah. Um, but, man, as of now, yes, incredibly. And as from memory, yes, it is. But yeah. I want to so, leave it open to that it might not be.
0: That said, when you think about it, like, he was so good in Edward Scissorhands. He was so good in Edward. This to
1: me is perfect depth to me. So yeah. depth always look. It's not his fault. His looks straddle the action hero. Yep. His personality has always been yes, more towards Edward's hands, and this role needed both. Love it. Him. needed Edward's hands and needed the action hero. <laughs> and this is why I think it's. Depp's best role because it encapsulates, I think, like what he brings to the screen.
0: Yeah. so Like he
1: brings this weird quirky personality, but inside of a matinee idols look. And that is perfect on screen. If anything, this is Depp
0: playing his home ground as well. Yeah, you're right. It's like, because it's probably the straightest that he's acted. In a Burton film. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um,
1: And there's none of that weird, wacky smile, you know, the twitchy smile, which just
0: pisses me off. Um, There are little elements that you could see could be a genesis of a Jack Sparrow in there. Oh, yeah, look, yeah, exactly. There's that playfulness,
1: you know, and and there's that action hero confidence. Yes. Which he doesn't really, once again, which he shows here, but he doesn't obviously embrace until Jack Sparrow um, but even then, in Jack Sparrow's, Jack Sparrow's action sequences are always like a drunken dance. You know yes. what I mean? And here it's very similar as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's one of the things with Ichabod Crane. The character of Ichabod Crane is always laughing because he's such a tall man with really long legs. And that's part of the folklore of it, that he does this fantastical dance. Almost that looks like... Um, Jack Skellington. Jack Skellington. Solo. Yeah, exactly. It looks, it's meant to look just like Jack Skellington. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, man, seriously, I'm just so impressed with this film. I just, I know that's um, like the, the color settings of this film, it's not dull. Even though you make it, uh, even though you're thinking, oh, all these films are dull and stuff like that, he he gets his color correction perfect to this film.
0: It's so interesting. I thought the same thing, Craig, because it was like, when I first watched it, I was like, are my colors off on the telly? Hmm. You know, are they are they just not have I done something? It's really dark, but at the same time it's bright? Yeah, exactly. At the same time. It's so it's such a fascinating but
1: perfect choice. I think it the explanation comes from obviously he is from what you just said is the built sets. Yep. You know what I mean? He's been able to control a hundred percent of the environment. Yes. You know what I mean? Like where obviously if it's um vfx you know other people get the control and all that yeah but everything in it it's a true camera shot of of a of just of tim burton's color pad it's almost like what you would see if it was a play yes you know what Love i mean that and that's what was, that's that's why it's so bright and dark at the same time you know what so i mean yeah i know it's so good i just yeah I gush, I literally gush over this film. (laughs) It it is, that's why I'm watching this film with a huge smile over my face because I've always loved it. My mum always loved it because she just thought Johnny Depp was hilarious (laughs) and she loves gore and shit. And I just loved it because, like I said, I just love the character of Johnny Depp. I think it like Ichabod Crane is one of the most just unique characters in the history of cinema.
0: I love it, Craig. I love it so much. I do love that this film as well. You know when you put a film on, sometimes we have it here on the podcast. You put a film on and you're just like, all right, let's do this. I'm going to have to slog this one out. You you probably felt that way in Ed Wood. Um, No, I was excited for Ed Wood. This movie. I felt it halfway through. I put it on and from the moment it starts, I'm like, I'm in for a journey.
1: Same. I paused it every time my wife and kid would speak. Okay. You just can you just not? Yep,
0: <laughs> totally. And and I think that speaks volumes for probably Burton's filmmaking because I actually find most his films they've all been really engaging.
1: Yes, they are all they they are. And engaging. so it's
0: not a film that I get ten minutes in and I'm like, oh man, I might check my phone.
1: Yeah, I wonder what's happening in the social world.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And so this isn't his films. Just for me, are not. Background noise films. Yeah. They're like, put your phone down, go on a journey, just have a great time. Do you know what I mean? No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so I think, Craig, this might bring us to a uh, great part of the podcast where each week we take a look at our Cineful Studio <sighs> Wife Very hard, this one. And we rank the films. Rank the Uh This is our eighth film. At number one, you have Batman Returns. Batman. Edward Scissorhands at 2, Batman at 3, Mars Attacks 4, Beetlejuice 5, Edward 6, Pee-Wee's Big Adventure at 7. Yeah. I've got Edward at number 1, Batman Returns 2, Edward Scissorhands 3, Mars Attacks 4, Batman 5, Beetlejuice 6, and Pee-Wee's Big Adventure at 7. Now, Craig, would love to know, mm. where on earth are you going to rank this bad boy? Very
1: easy, mate. Throw it at number
0: 1. What? Ooh. Oh,
1: Jeff, man, seriously, all the rest of those movies will eventually come and go in my mind. Sleepy Hollow just has this place in my heart. Hey. Oh, I love it, Crane. I don't know whether I I love I how bold you are. ...see too much of, like, you know, I just, I love Ichabod Crane. I love Johnny Depp's Ichabod Crane. You know, I guess one of the scariest things when I was a kid, when I was younger, was that animated short. Yeah. Um... You know what I mean? The the whole idea of headless has always been a scary thing for me ever since you know Christopher Lloyd in Amazing Stories, and yeah. you know what I mean? These types of things are just like that, and so yeah, I've just Sleepy Hollow it just hits me right, man. Oh, I love it, it fucking hits me right. I love it. Oh, I love and it. just loving it more. Like even I went in down a, a rabbit hole based on the curvy glass. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know the circly curved glass? It's called crown glass. So So it's actually where um, they use the, where they're obviously making the glass in the old-fashioned days. Yeah. And where they break off the glass stick off it.
0: Yeah, And that's what makes
1: that curve. Most of the time it's not just that one. It's a whole pattern of crown glass
0: around it. But yeah. So fascinating. I know, random. So great, Craig. Um, This one's been a really hard one for me to decide where to put it. I loved it, and I actually feel like the unbridled burden that we get in this film Mm. is something that, again, I think forward, and I don't know whether we ever get that again. I think maybe
1: Willy Wonka.
0: Yeah, maybe. Like, maybe, and maybe Dark Shadows. True. I'm also wondering if, like... I don't think we get it in Planet of the Apes. No, me either. I don't think so. It's gonna. That's. I gonna know. Be a that's. Fascinating a film. I'm
1: incredibly fascinated now, after seeing this, to see why he goes there.
0: I'm. Um, yeah. Me too. I can't wait. It's been so long since I watched. Same. So long. Uh, I think for me, my choice was. Uh, is it going to be number two or number three? Ooh, maybe number four. I don't know. But I think just having a chat around this, you know, we haven't even talked about the gruesome moment that he hacks away at the tree and there's blood coming out of the tree. Oh, and then the head's tumbling out. The head's out tumbling she, out. Yep. You know, this is really... Burton really is going extreme in here, but at no point does it feel ridiculous. No. And I think that balance is such an art. Like, it actually so shows how competent a director he is. Yeah. And you'd hope at eight films in, you'd be getting pretty good at it. But also, like
1: eight films in, to then finally go back to your genre? Very much so. Like, it's it's almost like he hasn't, and like he said, he hasn't been in this genre, in my opinion, he hasn't been in this genre since he was
0: an animator. You're right. He really, like... Since, like,
1: Vincent or... Or um, the
0: Hansel and Gretel? Or the... Oh,
1: yes, the Hansel and Gretel, which is... So is like is is like a budget forest, the same yep. as this one, same color. Yeah, totally,
0: Jeff. That's fucking brilliant. So you,
1: I want it makes me want to go watch all his early stuff again oh. because it feels like this is that accomplishment film. He's come full circle in it. Yes,
0: I love it so much. I think Craig. I'm going to put it at number three. Probably just speaks of the quality of his filmmaking. Uh, so I've got Edward at number one, Batman Returns at number two, Sleepy Hollow at number three. It may be one of my wild cards that I go, you know what, I really enjoyed that way more than I gave yeah. it credit, and it goes up. But all those films, like, you know, to have a film filmography that has Batman, Beetlejuice, Mahas Attacks, Edward Scissorhands, Sleepy Hollow, Batman Returns, yeah. Edward, all in there, it's like, I think I'm just really shocked at how much I'm enjoying Burton's work. Yeah, same, same. And makes me understand why people love his work so much.
1: Yeah. This is the film where it should uh, should be, instead of like Tim Burton's Nightmare for it, this should be Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. That should be the 100%. fucking title. Tim it Burton should Burton's be Sleepy the title.
0: Hollow. I love that, Craig. Mm. That's totally what it should be. Yeah, because you
1: see his signature throughout these other films, but this is just his film.
0: It it certainly is, Craig. And I to love tell it. Him
1: that it was such a random pickup, like you told me there. Well, through, yeah, you know, through
0: someone else. I love you, Jaeger. Yeah. Wherever you are
1: now, man. <laughs> I hope you're not drunk or yeah. angry he at the world. At,
0: he worked on a lot of big name projects. Did a lot of work on *Lemony Snicket* films like that. Well, so he's he a beautiful s- color palette s- then still too. Pretty prominent in the in the um, in the industry. So, Craig, um, where can people find us?
1: Man, seriously, go on to um, Twitter and Instagram at FFTL Podcast. If you want to do a little bit more, come on to our um, Facebook page from First to Last Podcast. Yes. Or if you're into hardcore emails, you know some people are. <laughs> Info at FFTL Podcast. No dick pics. Um, that's not part of the email. Um, Timestamps oh, accepted. www.fftlpodcast.com.
0: Love it, Craig. As we always say, share us with a friend. Like it. Subscribe. Give us a review. Subscribe. Yep. Get us wherever you find us. Yeah, exactly. Shoot we, around. We absolutely love you being on the journey. Um, If you like some coffee as well oh, yeah. for this journey. Do you like coffee? I love coffee. Jump on to GleeCoffee.com.au. Glee Coffee versus. Use the code FFTL. <laughs> You're going to get a discount. And they've got some great stuff on there. They have these amazing... They sell out really quick, Craig. But mm-hmm. uh, people need to check it out. The Verve, which is sort of their real great blend. Yep. Uh, Good band. They Yes, very <laughs> Speaking true. Speaking of
1: cruel intentions. Yeah. When,
0: they're, when they're not getting sued. Um, what are they getting sued for? Bittersweet Symphony. It's a Rolling Stones song they used without permission.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. That is bittersweet.
0: So that... Do, 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 do. Oh, wow. Mick Jagger. Uh, Keith Richards wrote that little line. Oh,
1: I think it's pronounced Jaeger
0: Jaeger Jaeger Mick Um They that The guys at Glee Have these amazing They're like a Paper tea bag That has Ooh. their coffee in it Shit And they're pre-packaged And so you sit them on the cup And just pour your boiling water over And you don't have to it Like bruise their coffee for you Oh damn And you take it out I'm going to give that a bell Check them out They sell out really quick FFTL 15% off 15% off So get onto that Gleecoffee.com.au Got some great shirts as well at the moment I was checking out the merchandise I might be getting a big reedy one for Christmas Uh, Now Craig I'm really excited I've talked about this being the film that I can't wait to watch All season And we're finally there And I never liked it when I watched it Mark Wahlberg I love Marky Mark He's there Paul
1: Giamatti. Oh, yeah. Helena Tim, Roth.
0: Carter. Tim Roth.
1: Estelle
0: Warren. Yes. She's there as well. She was a hottie. I loved her. Well, maybe she still it's, is a hottie. It's I gonna her. I don't know. Well, I'm I'll not do a YouTube uh, channel. Knows? Yeah. yeah. Uh, NSFW. <laughs> We're gonna be dabbling I'm in sure the there's a subreddit of the uh, there will be. Planet of the Apes is our next film though, Craig. We are jumping into the 2000s headfirst. Can't wait, man. Seriously, I'm pumped to watch this again. Me too. I remember how scary they were just running about. I I think I've mentioned it before. I gobbled up the special features on this. Ah, yes. And they had an ape school where they all got taken to school to learn how to be apes. And so (sighs) I'm so excited for this. I think I'm just hoping it's as great as I remembered it. But a lot of people have cited this as the, this is the decline. We're oh, on really? the downhill r- run. No, so it's not. I don't think it's so not. either, Craig. No. There's there's so many great things coming. Cool.
1: <laughs> Jeff's just getting broken into. <laughs> yeah, there was a really strange noise. So this is where I'm just gonna have to do my Ichabod
0: Crane thing <laughs> <laughs> and go check it out for yeah. us. Who is it? We've got a giant possum around the studio at the moment. Uh, actually, funny story. When I, I did a trek with my dad through Tasmania yeah. a couple of years ago, and there was this one campground used to stop at the end of every night's trek and you would uh, set up camp in a little cabin. And they had a warning that, which said, please make sure you padlock your backpacks. We have a giant black possum who has learned how to undo backpacks and people's hiking bags, which you hiked with all your food, so you'd always put them outside the cabin because yeah. uh, there wasn't enough room in the cabins. And so people would come out and there'd be this giant red-eyed black possum ripping into people's bags and eating all their food and he'd just lived in the area and they awesome. couldn't catch him. Awesome. Love that possum. Maybe we've got the giant black possum in the in the house tonight and he's cruising around. So next week, Craig, we are talking Planet of the Apes. Speaking awesome. of giant black possums. And it's going to be a cracker, I think. Maybe it's the headed horseman. It may be the headed horseman in Which the house. Which is really Who just the knows? dude on a horse. <laughs> <laughs> it's Ray Park. Yeah, Still it's, it's in Australia. We don't do headless. It's just the dude on a horse. That's right. Which yes. is strangely normal at times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: it is. It is randomly. I, fucking... I, I stepped in horse shit on... in the suburbs, man. Just there's the... a guy around your house
0: that always is on a horse. Yeah, exactly. I've seen
1: him. I know. I see it. I get. This is fucking. Is that a guy on a horse? Yeah. You go. Oh, cool.
0: <laughs> it's so strange. So, thanks for being along the journey as we uh, work our way through Tim Burton's filmography. We're probably, we are on the halfway mark. Yeah, we are getting on the back end of this season, which has still got so much quality to come. Oh, can't I'm wait! Really excited. Can't wait. Very excited. So, from all of us here at From First to Last podcast, I'm Jeffrey. I'm Craig Killian. And we'll see you next time. See you guys.